Welcome back for the last time to The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, a podcast production brought to you by Someone New Theatre Company. We hope that you enjoy this final episode of the Holmes podcast. But listeners be warned that this episode contains an instance of violence against an animal. This is The Adventure of the Copper Beaches, Part 3. Holmes and I had listened, spellbound, to this extraordinary story. My friend rose now and paced up and down the room, his hands in his pockets and an expression of the most profound gravity upon his face. Is Toller still drunk? Yes. I heard his wife tell Mrs. Rucastle that she could do nothing with him. That is well. And the Rucastles go out tonight? Yes. Is there a cellar with a good, strong lock? Yes, the wine cellar. You seem to me to have acted all through this matter like a very brave and sensible girl, Miss Hunter. Do you think that you could perform one more feat? I should not ask it of you if I did not think you a quite exceptional woman. I will try. What is it? We shall be at the Copper Beaches by seven o'clock, my friend and I. The Rucastles will be gone by that time, and Toller will, we hope, be incapable. There only remains Mrs. Toller who might give the alarm. If you could send her into the cellar on some errand, and then turn the key upon her, you would facilitate matters immensely. I will do it. Excellent. We shall then look thoroughly into the affair. Of course, there is only one feasible explanation. You have been brought there to personate someone, and the real person is imprisoned in this chamber. That is obvious. As to who this prisoner is, I have no doubt that it is the daughter, Miss Alice Rucastle, if I remember right, who was said to have gone to America. You were chosen, doubtless, as resembling her in height, figure, and the colour of your hair. Hers had been cut off, very possibly in some illness, through which she has passed. And so, of course, yours had to be sacrificed also. By a curious chance, you came upon her tresses. The man in the road was undoubtedly some friend of hers, possibly her fiancé. And no doubt, as you wore the girl's dress and were so like her, he was convinced from your laughter, whenever he saw you, and afterwards from your gesture, that Miss Rucastle was perfectly happy and that she no longer desired his attentions. The dog is let loose at night to prevent him from endeavouring to communicate with her. So much is fairly clear. The most serious point in the case is the disposition of the child. What on earth has that to do with it? My dear Watson, you, as a medical man, are continually gaining light as to the tendencies of a child by the study of the parents. Don't you see that the converse is equally valid? I have frequently gained my first real insight into the character of parents by studying their children. This child's disposition is abnormally cruel, merely for cruelty's sake, and whether he derives this from his smiling father, as I should suspect, or from his mother, it bodes evil for the poor girl who is in their power. I am sure that you are right, Mr. Holmes. A thousand things come back to me which make me certain that you have hit it. Oh, let us lose not an instant in bringing help to this poor creature. We must be circumspect, for we are dealing with a very cunning man. We can do nothing until seven o'clock. At that hour we shall be with you, 
and it will not be long before we solve this mystery. We were as good as our word, for it was just seven when we reached the Copper Beaches, having put up our trap at a wayside public house. The group of trees, with their dark leaves shining like burnished metal in the light of the setting sun, were sufficient to mark the house, even had Miss Hunter not been standing, smiling, on the doorstep. Have you managed it? A loud thudding noise came from somewhere downstairs. That is Mrs. Toller in the cellar. Her husband lies snoring on the kitchen rug. Here are his keys which are the duplicates of Mr. Rue Castles. You have done very well indeed. Now, lead the way, and we shall soon see the end of this black business. We passed up the stair, unlocked the door, followed on down a passage, and found ourselves in front of the barricade which Miss Hunter had described. Holmes cut the cord and removed the transverse bar. Then he tried the various keys in the lock, but without success. No sound came from within, and at the silence, Holmes's face clouded over. I trust that we are not too late. I think, Miss Hunter, that we had better go in without you. Now, Watson, put your shoulder into it, and we shall see whether we cannot make our way in. It was an old rickety door, and gave at once before our united strength. Together we rushed into the room. It was empty. There was no furniture save a little pallet bed, a small table, and a basketful of linen. The skylight above was open, and the prisoner gone. There has been some villainy here. This beauty has guessed Miss Hunter's intentions, and has carried his victim off. But how? Through the skylight. We shall soon see how he managed it. He swung himself up onto the roof. Ah, yes! Here's the end of a long, light ladder against the eaves. That is how he did it. But it is impossible. The ladder was not there when the Rue Castles went away. He has come back and done it. I tell you that he is a clever and dangerous man. I should not be very much surprised if this were he whose step I hear now upon the stair. I think, Watson, that it would be as well for you to have your pistol ready. The words were hardly out of his mouth before a man appeared at the door of the room. A very fat and burly man with a heavy stick in his hand. Miss Hunter screamed and shrunk against the wall at the sight of him. But Sherlock Holmes sprang forward and confronted him. You villain! Where's your daughter? The fat man cast his eyes round and then up at the open skylight. It is for me to ask you that you. Thieves! Spies and thieves! I have caught you, have I? You are in my power. I'll serve you. He turned and clattered down the stairs as hard as he could go. He's gone for the dog! I have my revolver. Better close the front door, cried Holmes, and we all rushed down the stairs together. We had hardly reached the hall when we heard the baying of a hound and then a scream of agony with a horrible worrying sound, which it was dreadful to listen to. An elderly man with a red face and shaking limbs came staggering out at a side door. My, my, my God! Someone has loosed a dog! It's, it's not been fed for two days! Quick! Quick! Or it'll be too late! Holmes and I rushed out and round the angle of the house, with Toller hurrying behind us. 
There was the huge, famished brute, its black muzzle buried in Rucastle's throat while he writhed and screamed upon the ground. Running up, I blew its brains out, and it fell over with its keen white teeth still meeting in the great creases of his neck. With much labour, we separated them and carried him, living but horribly mangled, into the house. We laid him upon the drawing-room sofa, and having dispatched the sobered Tola to bear the news to his wife, I did what I could to relieve his pain. We were all assembled round him when the door opened, and a tall, gaunt woman entered the room. Mrs. Toller? Yes, miss. Mr. Rockhorse let me out when he came back before he went up to you. Oh, miss, it's a pity you didn't let me know what you were planning. For I would have told you that your pains were wasted. Ha! It is clear that Mrs. Toller knows more about this matter than anyone else. Yes, sir, I do, and I'm ready enough to tell what I know. Then pray, sit down and let us hear it, for there are several points on which I must confess that I am still in the dark. I will soon make it clear to you, and I would have done so before now if I could have got out from the cellar. If there's police court business over this, you'll remember that I was the one that stood for your friend, and that I was Mrs Alice's friend too. She was never happy at home, Miss Alice wasn't, from the time that her father married again. She was slighted like, and had no say in anything, but what never really became bad for her until after she met Mr Fowler at a friend's house. As well as I could learn, Miss Alice had rights of her own by will, but she was so quiet and patient she was that she never said a word about them, but just left everything in Mr Rockcastle's hands. He knew he was safe with her, but when there was a chance of a husband coming forward who would ask for all that the law would give him, then her father thought it time to put a stop on it. He wanted her to sign a paper so that whether she married or not, he could use her money. When she wouldn't do it, he kept on worrying her until she got brain fever, and for six weeks she was at death's door. Well, then she got better at last, all worn to a shadow and with her beautiful hair cut off. But that didn't make no change in a young man, and he stuck to her as true as a man could be. I think that what you have been good enough to tell us makes the matter fairly clear, and that I can deduce all that remains. Mr. Rucastle, then, I presume, took to this system of imprisonment? Yes, sir. And brought Miss Hunter down from London in order to get rid of the disagreeable persistence of Mr Fowler. That was it, sir. But Mr Fowler, being a persevering man, as a good seaman should be, blockaded the house, and having met you, succeeded by certain arguments, metallic or otherwise, in convincing you that your interests were the same as his. Mr Fowler was a very kind-spoken, free-handed gentleman. And in this way he managed that your good man should have no want of drink, and that a ladder should be ready at the moment when your master had gone out. You have it, sir, just as it happened. I am sure we owe you an apology, Mrs Toller, for you have certainly cleared up everything which puzzled us. And here comes the country surgeon and Mrs Rucastle. So I think, Watson, that we had best escort Miss Hunter back to Winchester, as it seems to me that our locus standi now is rather a questionable one.
And thus was solved the mystery of the sinister house with the copper beaches in front of the door. Mr. Rucastle survived, but was always a broken man, kept alive solely through the care of his devoted wife. They still live with their old servants, who probably know so much of Rucastle's past life that he finds it difficult to part from them. Mr. Fowler and Miss Rucastle were married by special license in Southampton the day after their flight, and he is now the holder of a government appointment in the island of Mauritius. As to Miss Violet Hunter, my friend Holmes, rather to my disappointment, manifested no further interest in her when once she had ceased to be the centre of one of his problems, and she is now the head of a private school at Walsall, where I believe that she has met with considerable success. Thank you for joining us for part three of The Adventure of the Copper Beaches. This episode featured the voices of Stephen Georgiadis as Sherlock Holmes, Shannon Nichols as Dr. John H. Watson, Olivia French as Violet Hunter, Barry Kay as Jeffro Rucastle, Danny Donaldson as Mr. Toller, and Jazz Laker as Mrs. Toller. Even though we now close this book, this will not be the last from us, and we look forward to seeing you at our next production. <laughs>